0: Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Your Daily Drive, the podcast where we put our article content in audio format so that you can listen on the go. Thank you for all you folks who are going about doing this and that and you are tuning into Your Daily Drive. I do publish these, produce these podcasts three times a week. And of course, I have hundreds, over 800 of them already archived, and they are connected to each article. Someone was asking that question this week. Where do I find the Your Daily Drive article uh, podcast? Well, you find them inside the article. Uh, you can read the article. You can listen to it. Now, if you want to, in fact, I would encourage you to do this, that you subscribe to our podcast, Your Daily Drive, or our other podcast, Life Over Coffee, and you can do that through iTunes and all the usual places where you can subscribe to podcast podcasts. I want to share with you something that a surprise that God did a number of years ago that he took what I call a mundane moment and turned it into a special, not just a special event, uh, but it has a residual effect to where I have thought about it many times since that day. Let me share with you the premise of what God did, and then I'll get into the specifics of it in just a moment. But a few years ago, Lucia bought four milkweed plants and 11 caterpillars for our children. It was one of those science experiments in our laboratory. Our laboratory, the same as your laboratory, is called our home. The home is a laboratory where parents have the opportunity to rear children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so Lucia thought it was a great idea, and actually it turned out to be an excellent idea to get four milkweed plants and 11 calip- uh, caterpillars, and she put them in our dining room, and had a four foot fluorescent light, a grow light over them to uh, keep them warm and tucked in as they were, well, as they were eating, they were eventually tucked in into the chrysalis. But anyway, this was her science experiment in our laboratory. And per usual, God had additional plans for us. Going above and beyond our expectations is part of His nature. Paul tried to communicate that. When he talked about God doing more than we could even ask or think, Isaiah was touching on this idea as well. In Isaiah 55, he said, uh, talking about the Lord Lord saying, "'My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord.'" For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Christians should always live with an expectation that God is busy, He is doing something, and He is always doing things in the mundane moments of our lives. As I have historically led care groups throughout the years, inevitably I will ask them that when you go to the gas station to fill up your car with gasoline or go to the store to get a gallon of milk what is your primary purpose for going it is not to get gas and it's not to get a gallon of milk those are secondary reasons for going Now, yeah, you want to do that because it's a practical matter, but God said in Matthew 6, that seek first the kingdom of God and the gasoline and the milk will be added to you. That's my paraphrase. And therefore, when you go about doing anything in your day, whether it's in your laboratory at home or you're going grocery shopping, it doesn't matter. You live with the expectation that God is going to go above and beyond whatever we thought or asked for. Live that way and you will find that your life will be full of surprises. Unfortunately, we can move along in life with blinder zone in such a way that we, we miss the goodness of God in our lives. We do not see, we are myopic, we can't see far off or we can't see into the details of what the Lord is doing. Who knows when you're going to fill up your car with gasoline? Expect God to meet you there and expect Him to do something wonderful for you. And that is exactly what happened when Lucia bought four milkweed plants and 11 caterpillars. If you want to read this article, that. I'm sharing with you through this podcast you're welcome to do that go to our website rickthomas.net and you will find the article and the podcast here's how it's titled warming butterflies comma, or how to treat your wife warming butterflies or how to treat your wife you can read it if you wish and you can of course share it with others had a pastor ask recently how can we partner with you How can we interact with your ministry and your ministry interact with us? Well, there are about 20 different things, I suppose, that that you could do, and I'll not list those things here. But one of the things that you can do is that you can share our articles far and wide with your people. One pastor did that once upon a time. He printed off a specific article and gave it to every one of his church members had it sitting in the chair when they came into the church building on Sunday morning. That's a way. That's what you can do. Of course, many people use our articles for homework assignments, and by the way, I use them too. If I meet with someone, without exception, I will send them articles from our website because I want to extend my time with them and so our resources become supplemental materials for the folks that you are discipling and i would encourage you to do that as well and so one way that we can partner with your church is for you to use our resources for god's glory and for the benefit of the people that you are serving now inside of this article i have more as well there are three linked articles about this idea of marriage i would encourage you You can click on those and read them as well. But the title of this podcast and the article on the website, Warming Butterflies, or How to Treat Your Wife, God never leaves us alone because he wants to engage us, even in the mundane moments of our simple lives. I think sometimes stay-at-home moms can be this way, as Lucia was for. A large part of our marriage she was a stay-at-home mom and she homeschooled our children in the early years of their educational journey and sometimes she never really thought this way or maybe she did in the beginning but she definitely reoriented her thinking to realize that god was in this home and he was doing things and she wanted to partner with him specifically in the discipleship and the educational training of our children and that's where God wants to engage us. By the way, there's no other place for him to engage us because we don't live spectacular lives. Our lives are boring. And then when you get down with that, it, it's boring. You add, you at when you get through do when you get through one boring month you You connect it to another boring month, and then you connect it to another. And then after a decade or two, you look back and you see life is boring. That is one perspective. And what I'm communicating here is that it's mundane. However, if you realize that God is engaging you moment by moment, then your life is not boring. In fact, boring is a sin because the Christian should never be bored because God is with us. It is in the ordinary moments where God can be most clearly seen. His daily kindnesses are innumerable. He said in Matthew five forty five, So that ye may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Daily kindnesses, in this case the sunshine and the rain, But he goes way beyond that. And you see the most profound understanding of the glory of God intersecting with the mundane moments of our lives in the gospel. There is nothing more ordinary to the human eye than the gospel In fact, as Paul talked about it in Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, that is the foolishness of God. The Greeks were, they were stumbling all over it. The Jews could not perceive it. It was just an ordinary thing that happened. But this is God intersecting with us in a, again, what meets the human eye, a mundane moment in the gospel. Think about it. Jesus, who was in the form of God, took on the form of a servant Christ left the glory and wonder of his place to take on flesh, to become mundane, to live in our mundane world. Christ, living in the splendor of the glory with his Father, chose to come to our dirty and defiled world to live with us, to change us. That's the idea. In John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt in tabernacled among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And eventually, Jesus died a cruel, but also an ordinary death. Many people died on the cross, and He died that cruel and ordinary death to save us from our worthless condition. God is not afraid of or indifferent to the mundane. He gets in our lives is what I'm saying, and the most profound demonstration of that is the gospel where God in flesh came here to rescue us. He seemingly prefers this idea of getting in the mundane, especially when he can put his glory on display and because we can miss seeing his beauty on earth the savior is always quick to direct us to the glory of his father as perceived for example in nature as he tells us in Romans 1:20 and Psalm 19 verses 1 through 6. Jesus shows us often how God is interested in seemingly disinteresting things and from these teaching moments we learn so much about our heavenly father. An illustration of this idea is when Jesus taught his friends as they were walking along a path, he directed them to contemplate the lilies of the field. This is in Matthew 6, by the way, and he led them to reflect on the birds of the air. The Savior carefully and skillfully moved his disciples from the concrete animal and plant kingdoms to the abstract concepts that are in the spiritual world It would be so easy for us to walk down that same path and not see the lilies and realize that Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like any of these or as we see the birds of the air and not realize that our Heavenly Father cares so much more than us. My point here is you don't want to miss these spectacular moments in our mundane life. Jesus was always connecting life to the spiritual realities of who his friends were and how they were to relate to God and others. His teaching not only amazed them, but it helped them to perceive and to respond to God in real and practical ways. Now this perspective, this worldview that I'm sharing with you about God and all his glory penetrating and intersecting with us in our mundane life. It brings us back to Lucia's science experiment. Who would have thought that God would show up in my marriage by watching caterpillars transform into butterflies? Initially, we set up the milkweed plants in the dining room. The plants continued to grow as the caterpillars grazed on their vegetation it was about a month before they spun their little tents the chrysalis and there's the the chrysalis is a tent (laughs) that a butterfly that a caterpillar rather lives in and the caterpillars stayed in their little chrysalis cocoons for several days maybe five if i remember correctly And then they began, one by one, to transform into beautiful monarch butterflies. They were gorgeous. They were bright. They were full of life. But here's the thing. This is the thing that was so stunning to me. It was the 30 minutes between coming out of the chrysalis and their taking flight. During this interim period, the butterflies, when they were coming out of the cocoon, the chrysalis, they were slightly shriveled. They were. We videoed this. Stunning, wrinkled, and moist. If you can imagine, if I can use this illustration of a a infant inside the mother's womb, just curled up. And this caterpillar or this butterfly was like that when it was coming out of the chrysalis. They were not quite wadded up, but they were diminutive compared to their creator's final design. And though all of them did not respond the same way, depending on where they spun their chrysalis, there was one butterfly. this was the one that I had focused on. He came out of its shell. It came out of its shell, just under the warmth of the grow light. It was this one was closest to the grow light, and when she came out of her chrysalis, the warmth of the light greeted her. Imagine coming out of the cocoon, the chrysalis, your tent. <laughs> And there's a a warm light there, and you're gnarled up, and you're wadded up together. uh, You're tight, tightly packed, and you're moist. And then the soothing heat had drawing power. It It was interesting to watch how the warmth of the grow light helped the butterfly. The warmth of the light smoothed out her wrinkled wings and warmed her to where she could spread her glorious, silky wings and take flight. She unfurled. It was in this mundane moment where God pointed me to his word and pierced my heart. Yes, he did. Just as Christ directed his disciples to the birds of the air and began to teach them beautiful spiritual truths, the Father was teaching me about my marriage. As I was watching a blooming butterfly come out of the chrysalis. In Ephesians 5.29, it says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. Talking about marriage, husband and wife. But nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. the church. Nour- the word nourish in Ephesians 5.29 means to grow. The word cherish means to warm. Boom. It was right there. In that Monday moment, the concrete plant kingdom, chrysalis, caterpillar, butterfly, grow light, connected to my spiritual human realm, and I saw it. My responsibilities before God and to my wife were as plain as day. I intuitively knew that I had a duty to warm, warm and grow my wife. No man hates his own flesh, but he nourishes it, he grows it, cherishes it, he warms it just as Christ does the church. I am to provide for her a context of grace, an environment of grace where she can mature and take flight. Earlier in the Ephesians text, and you're familiar with this text about husbands and wives... Paul talked about how the church had no wrinkles or spots. He was using this truth to teach and direct us about the great possibilities and adventures in marriage. Our monarch butterfly came out of the chrysalis wrinkled, damp, and not quite all God intended. Guess what? Our wives came to us similarly, imperfect. It is our job as husbands to cooperate with the Lord by shepherding our wives to help them be all God intended. Now, I realize that a wife can enjoy and benefit and mature in her relationship with God without the help of her husband or in spite of her husband. But you need to hear this if you're married You will never fully realize all that she can be because there are benefits in a marriage that neither spouse can attain without the cooperation of the other partner. I mean, to use a trite illustration here, you can own a bicycle, but if you can't ride a bicycle, you will never fully realize all the benefits of riding a bike, and so, yes, a wife can mature in God without her husband or in spite of her husband, but she will never fully realize all that she can be because there are benefits in a marriage that neither spouse can attain without the cooperation of the other. In Ephesians 5.27, in this paragraph here about husband and wife, Paul says this, so that he might present the church to himself. Talking about Jesus, that Jesus is going to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It is every husband's job to love, to warm, to grow, to teach, to lead, to serve his wife so that he can present to himself the work of his leadership. Do you hear in the text where Christ will present to himself the work of his hands? You get what you pay for. You receive your reward Many times in marriage counseling, a couple will come in and they have been married for 5 or 10, 15 or 30 years and the wife is like that butterfly just coming out of the chrysalis gnarled up, squished together, not all that she can be. And what the, the husband has been harsh and impatient and other forms of anger and disappointed and critical and condemning. and she doesn't have the ability or she doesn't fee, she's not living in that environment of grace where she can unfurl her, her wings to be everything that, that she could be within that marriage. Through my leadership and husband, through your leadership, we can cause our wives to enfold into the worst version of themselves. Or you and I can cooperate with the Lord to help her spread her wings like never before and take flight for the glory of God. Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose your wife did something disappointing to you, whatever it may be, and maybe she's truly guilty. I I don't know. Let's say that she is truly guilty. And you yell at her. You yell at her. You know what's going to happen? She's going to tighten up. That's what that butterfly looked like when it first came out of the chrysalis. Anybody would react that way when somebody is yelling or angry or disappointed at them. First Peter talked about this in 3, 7 of chapter, a book, uh, First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He said, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, as the delicate vase. That's why I use this idea of this butterfly, and because I... These thoughts were not new to me. It was was in part of why when this happened during this experiment that it was so stunning to me because it it, it gave me more clarity on this thought that I had. And Peter says, Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. A delicate vase... Historically, Lucia and I have talked about this all of our marriage, that metaphorically the wife is like a butterfly and the husband is like a a buffalo. And the reason that, or in America, of course, that's a bison, I realize that, but it sounds better to say buffalo and butterflies. And the reason that we began to think this way is because once upon a time, I, I used to collect buffaloes or bisons. Now, I don't do that anymore, and so don't send me any. I said that in a conference one time a two-week conference, and by the time the conference was, conference was over, I had buffalo stationery and buffalo shirt and buffalo virtually about everything you have. And, yes, I have French cuff shirts with buffalo cuff links as well or or uh, nickels. What do you call the Buffalo nickels. And so I, I don't want any buffalo stuff. But nevertheless, uh, we we talked about our marriage like a buffalo and a butterfly, and I want you to think about this. A a butterfly is dainty and fragile, a delicate vase, and when the buffalo comes snorting into the room, if you're not careful, she will tighten up. She'll become anxious and nervous and fearful because of your attitude. And, and you can only accomplish this beautiful symmetry between a buffalo and a butterfly by the grace of God, because regardless of what our culture says today, men and women are different. And so we use this running metaphor in our marriage of buffalo and butterfly, and it helps me to realize that I have a responsibility to create an environment of grace for my wife so that she can experience the warmth of my attitude, the warmth of my behavior, the warmth of my words, the warmth of my thoughts. And it will allow her to do exactly what that butterfly did as it began to move toward that the warmth of the grow light. And that is what I was seeing when I saw that on that day. In marriage counseling, one of the objective pieces of evidence of a man's leadership is the countenance and the attitude and overall condition of the wife. I've said this before, but when I do leadership development, when especially like say a young preacher or a preacher boy, a young man comes in and wants to be a pastor, one of the pieces of of information that I'm looking for is not so much in him, but in his wife. The, the the wannabe pastor will tell me about, you know, his education, he's got an MDiv, he's got a master's in whatever, he's been to school, he's served as an intern at this church, that church, and he has the gift of speaking, and he has a, a resume that that communicates all the ministry opportunities that he has been in. Those things are important, But those things are not. Those things are never the first things that I'm looking for. I I want to look at his wife. I want to see how she has been affected by his leadership. Does she bask and flutter in the warmth of her husband's leadership? Or is she gnarled, confused, twisted, angered, and despairing? I'll find out more about a husband's leadership ability. This pastor want to be ability by interacting with his wife because she's the person who has experienced more of his leadership gifting, whether it's good or bad, than anyone else in the world. You see, the church reflects the work of Christ. And a wife will react positively or negatively to the work of her husband. And while he can be the employee of the month on the job, the real test is how he leads and serves his wife in the home. Too often we dichotomize these things, and that's why I would never do that in leadership development. Even our even in our mastermind program for our students who are married, that is key. And by the way, it goes both ways. If a wife is in our mastermind program and learning all of these things, she has a responsibility. We talk about it in some of our podcasts and articles about leading your husband from a submitted state. She has a responsibility to disciple her husband. But in this podcast, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the husband's responsibility to disciple his wife, and if he's employee of the month, he's hitting it out of the park, every day, every week, every month, every year, at work? Well, the true test is how he leads and serves his wife at home. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. The title of it is Warming Butterflies, How to Treat Your Wife. You warm her. You create an environment of grace that gives her the opportunity to be the best version of herself I have three questions for you and then i'll finish number number one are you hindering or helping your wife to benefit from and enjoy her fullest experience of christ specifically through your marriage how are you hindering how are you helping there you're doing both of those things or i hope you're doing both of those things let me put it that way because there's no question that we are hindering our wives in their growth I have hindered my wife many times by my sinful attitude, words, and actions, but when I say I hope you're doing both, meaning I hope you're helping too, and I hope eventually you're helping as far surpasses whatever hindering that you may be doing in your marriage, but are you hindering? or helping your wife to benefit from and enjoy her fullest experience of Christ? Number two, is she anxious or guarded when around you, or is she open and willing to be vulnerable? You're looking for vulnerability when the buffalo comes home and he starts snorting and stomping around. Does she gnarl up? Number three, if you can talk to her about this podcast and have her answer these questions without her worrying about your response, you're doing well. But listen to this, if you can't speak to her about this podcast, if you cannot talk to your wife about this podcast, you need help, I would encourage you to come to us and let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of RickThomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to RickThomas.net, RickThomas.net.